Into sports. 20 yards out. Urge to shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, what a goal for Fabinho. Wow. Then get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologizes to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. Brady and Belichick have been at the forefront of the credit in New England for the last 20 years. OTB's American Football Show, The Snap on OTB Sports Radio. Yes, you're very welcome along to this week's edition of The Snap. Both Kean and Ronan are with us. Gents, you're both very welcome this Friday afternoon to uh, the Week 5 edition of The Snap. And a reminder, The Snap and all our American football coverage on OTB is brought to you by the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Obviously, the 2020 game fell by the wayside. We're hopeful the 2021 game can go ahead. That's Illinois against Nebraska. And hopefully it's going to be at the Aviva next summer. All the latest up-to-date information about the game and tickets is available at collegefootballireland.com. How hard is it to count to four, Kian? When you get old, sometimes your functions begin to desert you and one, three, two, what's next? I don't know. Uh, yeah, so Tom, for those who don't know, Tom Brady last night at the end of the game forgot or mistakenly thought it was third down when it was actually fourth down and that ended the Bears Buccaneers game but it was actually quite a fitting end to that game because the bear both the Bears and the Buccaneers were just making bizarre decisions the whole way through like Brady should never have had uh, a minute he had a minute and 15 seconds left I think on the clock when he got the ball back at the end he should never have had that time the Bears threw the ball twice on uh, on a, a, the, when they were trying to run clock and just kick a field goal before that the Buccaneers had an opportunity to go for it in fourth down that would have guaranteed them keeping the last possession if they had not got it, or they would have an opportunity to score a touchdown. At the start of the game, Bruce Arians went for it in fourth and one from his own 20 for no apparent reason. The Bucs were, or sorry, the Bears were making bizarre decisions all the way through the game. The Bucs were making bizarre decisions all the way through the game. And somehow, the Bears are four and one. Like the, they, it's, like, it's like Mr. Magoo walking through a building site. It's literally everything's going wrong. No one's excited about it. No one thinks this is good. And they just come out at the end completely clean every time. So like even last night, I was trying to find a Bears fan who was really excited and really like obnoxious about this team and how this is a great team and everyone, all of us analysts got it wrong. And we couldn't find one. Everyone thinks this team is terrible. Even, even the coach, the, like, the, the bizarre thing in the NFL is Normally, you need to have one of a great coach, a great quarterback, or a great offensive line to win games. And they have bad, objectively bad, at each of those positions. They do have a great defense, though, right? Like, there is a potential for this defense to, to grow over the rest of the season into one of the best in the league. It's already one of the best in the league by record through the first five weeks of the season, but they have stars on that defense, and they might well be playing a system that works for them. Oh, absolutely. But the, the the one thing you saw last night that they couldn't really do was contain Ronald Jones. And Ronald Jones is someone like, he deserves a lot of credit because he's really turned into, uh, Ronald Jones came into the league as this really smooth runner, this really intelligent runner. He was quick. He was a little bit fast. He wasn't exceptionally fast. But he was fast enough. And he's added some power and muscle and strength to his game where he's now breaking tackles. So he moves at such pace, he's going to break off big runs. And he had a huge run last night in the second half that looked like it put the Bucks in position to win the game. But the problem for the for the for the Bucks was 
the Bears had Khalil Mack and they had Robert Quinn, they had Aggie Hicks coming out at Tom Brady. They were able to sack Brady three times, I believe, and the sacks were coming through Donovan Smith. They were coming through quickly, so Brady wasn't having any opportunity to get the ball out. That's the quality of their defense. Like Khalil Mack is having a quiet year, a down year, I guess you would say. But like like Aaron Rodgers said this week about his own performances, a down year for him is a career year for most quarterbacks. That's the same thing for Khalil Mack. A down year for him as a defender is a career year for most defenders. So, yeah, the defense is still high quality, but like you, you generally don't change your quarterback and be completely dismayed with the quarterback that you've gone to and still win games. It's just, it's mad. And it, the, some, as someone noted to me last night, the Bears' schedule is really, really uh, soft. So, it could be just a matter of the Packers beating them to win the division and the Bears make the playoffs and the Buccaneers, like the Buccaneers aren't guaranteed to be a playoff team at this stage, but they should be too. So you might actually get a rematch of last night and Tom Brady will have to learn how to count. The um, the, the Bucs, let's talk briefly about them. Um, it's hard to judge the Bucs on the basis that so many of their, particularly their offensive players, are injured or banged up at the moment. And... Maybe that's just how this year is going to be for most teams, though. So you still think they're a realistic playoff contender team at this point, Kian? Well, that's interesting because I thought I was kind of sliding them a little bit by saying they're just a playoff team because most people are kind of looking at them as a Super Bowl contender or a Super Bowl team because of Brady. But we've seen the flaws. The offensive line is hugely flawed. It is probably You've probably seen the video of uh, Trishan Wirfs last night where Khalil Mack, after he sacks Brady, literally throws Tristan Wirfs. Tristan Wirfs is a 300-pound, 6'5", whatever he is. He throws him like a wrestling move, the flip where everyone, you can only really do that when it's fake. Now he's actually doing it in real life to actual offensive linemen. And that's their big, their key weakness. But the the bigger concern for me is, like obviously the injuries are there, Chris Godwin is there, OJ Howard is gone. But the bigger concern for me was Mike Evans is has become this goal line receiver. Like he's not involved. There was a play last night where he pushed off the first cornerback, pushed another safety to the ground, and was called for offensive pass interference. He was called twice in the game, and he was looking at the refs in shock as if he had never done anything wrong, and he was amazed that he was called for it. And it was the most obvious pass interference you'll ever see. And hes I think it came out of frustration because he's not involved heavily in the offense at all. The passing game doesn't go to him. It goes to Scott. Scotty Miller was out last night, but it goes to the other receivers. It goes to the rookie who was playing for him last night. It goes to the tight ends. Like, they were looking at the, their third tight end last night more often they were looking at Mike Evans, which is a major problem because Mike Evans isn't just a big guy who you go to in the end zone. He's an all-around receiver who can make big plays all over the field. And that's the one thing that they're lacking with Jameis Winston. Like, Jameis Winston was not better than Tom Brady. He's not better for them than Tom Brady. But he was better for Mike Evans because he actually got the ball to Evans in uh, uh, down the field and in positions where he was more tightly covered downfield. Brady's just not attempting those throws, and it's really it's nuking one of their best weapons. All right, well, we'll see how that goes over the next couple of weeks. And um, maybe, who knows, somehow they can get something into his arm over the next while, and maybe they can make Gronk have uh, softer hands than he had uh, in last night's game as well. So it was a one-point win for Chicago last night uh, against the uh, Buccaneers, and as Kean said, they moved to 4-1, and one, the Bucks fall to 3-2. and two. It's time for this week's Pick 6. These puns definitely all make sense. It's the Pick 6 on OTB Sports. Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Jerry. when you mentioned earlier about uh, quarterbacks being unable to count, I thought you were talking about Brian Hoyer, who forgot how many timeouts he had when the Patriots were had the Chiefs on the rack there a few days ago. But we'll get to the Patriots shortly. We're going to start with former New England man in Bill O'Brien. So this is Bill O'Brien, who said goodbye to... Houston during the week and brings an end to one of those 
sort of strange dramas where you look on paper and he's won several divisions and gotten to the playoffs again had the Chiefs speaking of the Chiefs had them very much on the rack in last year's playoffs uh, through his own tactical sort of missteps let's call them uh, blew that 24 to 0 lead but I think it's safe to say that it's actually Bill O'Brien the GM that's gotten Bill O'Brien uh, the coach fired in this situation I saw Kevin Clark tweeting something like because he has so many jobs, it's not. There's no grey area on who to blame because he's in charge of everything. So let's just let's just get rid of this guy. There could have been an argument for maybe scaling back his duties and letting him focus on one or the other. But I think the horse has already bolted on this sort of project. And with Deshaun Watson having been paid, and you know what happened in the off season, we've covered it several times in this show. The sort of unbelievable decision. The, the trades that were made and some of those off-season moves where he seemed to let sort of personal grudges uh, influence his personnel decisions. So I think Houston have made a, a pretty solid decision here, but I'd be interested to hear what, what you think of, of Bill O'Brien's exit. Kian? Uh, I'd just like to know what I can't actually see here. My screen is frozen, so I don't know what the pick six is. It's going to be a surprise to me on every go. Um, Bill O'Brien, like last week when they were zero on three, Bill O'Brien thought the big solution was that Bill O'Brien needed to have more involvement in the play calling because Bill O'Brien had given up the the responsibilities to his offensive coordinator and he looked at that and said, yeah, that definitely needs more of me. And that's basically been what Bill O'Brien has done in the last five or six years when he's been in Houston. And that's been the problem. He, his arrogance in, in him thinking he knows better than everyone else, so him thinking he's more valuable than any player on the roster is what's cost him the, his team. And the reports last week were that the locker room, he lost the locker room that J.J. Watt was fighting with him, which is a very weird thing because J.J. Watt typically doesn't fight with people. And after DeAndre Hopkins was unhappy with him, after Dwayne Brown left the left the franchise because he was unhappy with the franchise, it's been rotten for a long time. And it just needed this 0-3, record to actually get him out the door. The, the biggest issues the Texans have in a football sense are that the offensive line isn't particularly good. Uh, the wide receiving core hasn't been able to replace DeAndre Hopkins defensively. They've lost a lot, a lot of talent that they never replaced. And they've played four, like they played three good teams, and then they played a Vikings team that played relatively well on the day. Nobody could tackle uh, Dalvin Cook. But the, the Texans as a whole, the problem there is you, you just can't, you can't rely on one guy to do everything like, like Ronan said. But if you are going to rely on one guy to do everything, it can't be Bill O'Brien. Like he just hasn't had that kind of career. You look at the wins he's had over his career, the, the record he has, that's going to guarantee him another job. But if you ask me to explain what he contributed to make his team better or how he uh, how he set his team up to win proper, to win games that often, I'm not able to do it. If you ask me to do that with Kyle Shanahan, sure, I can do it straight away. But with Bill O'Brien, it was always ambiguous. The major concern I always had with um, with him is the best year they had was with Deshaun Watson during his rookie year when he got hurt. His play calling for Watson that year was impeccable. Un it was outstanding. And they gradually went away from what Watson did best to try and make him more of a... I guess I don't like this word traditional, but the idea was less of the big shot plays, less of, less of the risky plays. And I think that took an element away from their, our offense, which has hurt them over the long term. Yeah. And now Watson, Watson does not seem like he's particularly disappointed about O'Brien leaving. So I, I, I think the Texans have been a mess for a while. And the biggest issue now is they're going to be a mess for another year and a bit because they don't have their draft picks. They don't have a lot of talent. They don't have a lot of cap space. So this isn't an attractive job at all, despite them having a quarterback. 
two years ago they had JJ Watt, Jadevian Clowney, and Tyron Matthew on defense, and they had Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson, and Andre Hopkins. Deshaun Watkins. Uh, well, it was there was a, an umbilical link between what was one of the best receivers in football and the most exciting young talent at quarterback. It was kind of you know he was in the same conversation at that point as Mahomes, and we hadn't seen uh, Lamar emerge up to this point. It's it's a cataclysmic crash from that point where they looked like they were deep uh, at receiver, looked like anybody in that backfield was going to be good because there was the running threat from the quarterback, there was the receiving threat all over the pitch, and they had a reasonable offensive line. Not great. Um, you fast forward to this point, and it is a, a complete mess. At the same time, you do have Deshaun Watson, who is a stellar talent. So when you say it's not a good job, if you if you are a coach who can have a reasonable uh, offensive line coach, then there are enough pieces there just about with that QB and putting a lot on his shoulders. And it, you know, it's going to peak over the next couple of years. If you can keep him fit by beefing up and making sure your offensive line performs to the level that you've invested in it, then actually, surely there are enough coaches out there who think, yeah, I can, I can do something with that guy. What it needs is the Pete Carroll approach when he went to Seattle. And that requires patience because what Pete Carroll did when he went to Seattle was every single opportunity to change the roster he took, he looked at every single transaction. They made something like 400 in his first year. He set a record for transactions for players coming in and going out. And I'm not sure you're going to get that patience when you have a quarterback like Watson because everyone expects you to win when you've got a quarterback advantage. And that was one of the, O'Brien's problems is he brought in David Johnson and he wanted to focus on getting the ball to David Johnson. He actually got to do his press conference on Monday after his, la his most recent game. And he was talking about how he needed to involve David Johnson more and give the ball to David Johnson more, even though the running plays weren't working. So the, the, kind of, the two things that are related to each other right there where O'Brien was having that issue of, oh, I need to focus on Watson or I need to focus on Johnson and get Johnson more involved when the reality was he needed Watson to be put on the pedestal and get the most out of Watson. So yeah, if you bring in a quarterback who is like, I guess the obvious connection is Eric Boyne and me, that's who everyone wants, even though we were looking at Matt Nagy, even though we're looking at Doug Peterson and saying there's question marks there. Everyone wants Boyne and me because they want those play designs and they want that offense. If you give that to Deshaun Watson, yeah, that's a big improvement for him, and that would be better than what they had previously. But you're still going to have Titus Howard at right tackle. You're still going to have Darren Fells as your tight end. You're still going to have uh, David Johnson on your books. It's going to be a challenge. So you have a decent receiving core. They haven't played particularly well this year, though. So you're not going to add to that with a first-round pick. You're not going to add to it with a second-round pick. It's it's just it's not easy to win in the NFL when you only have a quarterback. So if even if you are a really good coach, that might mean getting to nine and seven. It might mean getting to ten and six. It won't mean taking a big step forward in the playoffs and pressing the Chiefs or pressing the, the Ravens. So I, I'm not sure. Like There are obviously co different coaches will think different ways. Like Some of them will only want that quarterback and think they can fix everything else. Other quarterbacks will, or other head coaches will look at it more like a whole franchise and look at it more like a, a manager role where like Ron Rivera who went to Washington without a quarterback yeah. and a bunch of other issues. So yeah. it's possible, but I just, I wouldn't be excited about it. Well, I think if you, if you get the right duo to come in and split the jobs, as it stands, they would be due to pick fourth if they had their pick. So um, the Giants, the Falcons, the Jets and Houston are the four teams who have no wins so far this season. But as you pointed out, Laramie Tunsil cost them their first pick to Miami and uh, their second pick was bundled in that deal as well. Did they get Kenny Stills as part of that too? Um, yeah. So uh, maybe Miami are going to have uh, uh, Tug Viola this year and next year they'll also be in a position to get the best quarterback that we've uh, ever seen coming out of college. So, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, certainly the intrigue is there. Let's move on. What's number two in this week's pick six? 
Yeah, it's, it's like Josh McDaniels, Jerry, even I mentioned that um, Billy O'Brien, formerly of the Patriots, another coordinator that seeing what he's done with Newton this year, I think the Texans might be looking at him as a possible option, but we'll stick with the Patriots for uh, number two in the pick six. That's unhappy Gilmore. So uh, the Patriots shown their best player for the first game, arguably against the, the Chiefs there a few days ago. And now again, without Stephen Gilmore last year's defensive MVP. I think Adam Schefter was the one who broke the story that Stephen Gilmore had dinner with Cam Newton on Friday night after the nasal swab that was tested positive for COVID-19. So that kind of, we all heard the stories about them splitting up the planes between those who came in close contact with them and those who didn't. So what the Patriots knew in terms of information that was made public prior to the game against the Chiefs, I'm sure Chiefs fans are sweating, having seen Stephen Gilmore dapping up Patrick Mahomes, giving him all the hugs after, after Monday's game. So uh, it'd be a little bit interesting to see how that plays out. But this is the, the COVID reality of the NFL. The Titans have once more fallen out of it uh, too. But the fact that the Patriots, you know, losing two of their best players and Belichick for all we've talked over the years about how he's able to scheme victories and, you know, the the play design will almost win out when you've got such a genius as a coach. But it did fall down. We, we saw it. We were the personnel let him down. Brian Hoyer botched two drives that might have put them in contention to win that game and then Jared Stidham who was talked about in the off season prior to Newton's arrival as the person who was most likely to fill that berth you know he he was fine like I wouldn't put the interception on him he, he was grand I think he was a bit better than higher but like the Patriots are in a little bit of disarray not quite on par with the Titans but this is it's a leveler like for as smoothly as the first couple of weeks went I think as the season progresses, the, the COVID is going to be more of an impactful force yes. uh, through the coming weeks. Things are going to get bad. Like, can you see a 16-game season? I, I, I can see a 16-game season spread out up until the middle of March. Like, you know, is that really the worst thing that happens if, the, if everything gets kicked back? Um, you know, the, the whole notion of the week 18, like and you were like, oh, if there's a week 18, there's going to have to be a week 19 and a week 20. At some point, they're going to go, actually, that's the right thing to do. Well, at the moment, they're talking about changing games around for Tuesday night football and moving Thursday night football. And right now, we don't know what game is going to happen for the Titans next week. We don't even know which opponents they're going to have. Well, they've, because they've said the Bills game sorry, is... The, they've said the Bill Titans game is going to be moved to Tuesday. That was the most recent thing that I've seen this morning. And look, we're recording this and streaming live at 20 past 12 on Friday afternoon. So that, that information could change. And that, in turn, would kick the Bills Thursday game back to either a Sunday or a Monday after that. So I, Look, I have a little bit of sympathy with fixture makers in the midst of this because what they're trying to do is these are non-bubbled organizations who are traveling cross-country, moving in and out of airports, picking stuff up going back into the community and whatever level they're going and then coming back to play matches and uh, very close contact of 90 people in changing rooms and then training training facilities and all that kind of stuff. So I, I know a lot of people want to beat up on them at this point, but they're doing relatively well to have made it this far with only the one game lost. That's my take on this anyway. Well, the thing to me that I don't get is their reluctance to stretch the season out a little bit. Like, it's not like they're going to be competing with any other sport or it's not like they can't reschedule in stadiums. Like, it's not like there's concerts happening right now. The, the stadiums will be free until March. They will be free until late late February. You could very easily add two or three weeks to the end of the season already and re reschedule everything and move everything around a little bit to give yourself some breathing room. For whatever reason, they're reluctant to do that. It's probably something to do with the TV rights and the contracts and wanting to provide games on time when they were supposed to provide games on time. 
but surpass that like it, it's a mess for a team like the Bills where like they, they don't know if they're playing the Titans next or if they're playing the Chiefs next then the Chiefs all similarly are kind of like we don't know exactly what we're doing next either so having one team out and having a second team that looks kind of threatening to be out with the Patriots the whole thing could collapse it's kind of built on it's very much not built on a strong foundation so there's going to be a domino effect in this thing if it cont- continues on and there's all this talk you now about punishing the Titans and blaming the Titans. And I, it's a very hard thing to do because the Titans are getting a lot of criticism because their players practiced in, uh, in, a, in a local high school, in a local private school, whatever you want to call it. And the, the problem with that is they, they were told not to do it. But at the same time, the Patriots played the Chiefs at the same, in, in a game with players who were clearly COVID positive because Stefan Gilmore tested positive afterwards. And that's much worse than what the Titans did. But we're going hard on the Titans, and then the NFL is kind of sat there going, "Oh well, we're not doing anything wrong. We're looking after everything." So it's all a little bit of a mess. If you get kind of get back to the the football aspect of it, that Patriots Chiefs game kind of reinforced again that the Patriots look like a real contender. Like the Patriots have a fascinating season so far because they played the Seahawks, lost on the last play of the game, and kind of you you saw Cam Newton emerging, and they played the Chiefs without Cam Newton, and they played them close. And you would think if you put Cam Newton into that team, they would have won that game maybe. So it's a very, very uh, interesting dynamic with the Patriots now because they have two losses against two good teams. But those two games kind of inform you and suggest that they're going to be really good. And there is one note I would like to mention about that Patriots game because last week I came on and talked about how the Ravens beat themselves on defense and how they were a mess and kind of blitzing all the time. Patriots came in, exact opposite game plan, and it worked perfectly again. They contained Mahomes. for they, The Chiefs offense had three points with a minute left in the third quarter. There was a pick six there that made the uh, score inflated a little bit more. But Belichick has contained Mahomes pretty much all the time he's played him. And he's got that little bit of a trump card, I guess. And on the Mahomes side of things, he, he now has six passes this year that should have been intercepted that were dropped. He Outside of the Ravens game where he was completely perfect, where he was completely sharp and making great decisions every play, he has not had a great season. He's He's been very much a not sharp which will catch up to them at some point if they can't come up against the Patriots again, I think. Unless he's he's going to slowly ease his way in and um, peak Possibly, yeah. a little bit later. That's always a possibility with that. Okay, so two of the pick six are down. We're uh, 23 minutes in. What's next? Number three, Jared, where Buffalo roam and sticking on this trend. I know we've talked about how, how impressive the Patriots have been given like the opt-outs they've had and obviously Brady stepping away, but the Bills were, were sort of pegged as the most likely team to, to conquer that division. And I think the Rams game a couple of weeks ago was significant. That's the kind of game where if you're going to actually win the division, teams who win divisions don't blow leads like they blew a lead that day, but they managed to manage, they managed to stay in the game and, and managed to pull it out as well. So Josh Allen is basically the, the centre point of this whole thing on an MVP sort of tear. At least he's in the conversation. I know Wilson and Rodgers, who we'll get to next, are probably in the front running uh, alongside Mahomes. Uh, Lamar is obviously not quite on that level so far this season. But Josh Allen, when he came out in the draft, there was a lot of skepticism around him. I know people who were um, assessing the draft talents uh, coming out of that class weren't so sure about how polished he was, that he had the credentials in terms of his athleticism and obviously huge arm and mobile. But I think this season he's, he's shown a lot of maturity, still has that sort of aggressive, irritable streak, but I think he's channeling it sort of in the right way. And the Bills have... Uh, Seems to have a very good game plan to, to get the most out of him. And the defense is impressive as well. I know Josh Norman was getting all the headlines. I think he, that was his debut for the team last week. He, he punched the ball loose and that managed to close out the game against the Raiders. But the Bills are looking impressive. You know, it's they're only two games up on the Patriots at this stage, but 
if that if this trend continues, I think you'd have to see them as nailed on for that division. It's pretty amazing that Josh Norman is still playing in any way relevantly and having an impact at 32 when it looked like he was washed up by three or four years ago. So fair play to him for getting back to that level and, you know, who knows how long that'll actually last. Um, Kian, there's been a transformation, I suppose, and one of those things that we sometimes don't give enough credit for. We, we've talked about this, I suppose, with the whole point about a development league. Um, for somebody like Josh, there's no possibility for you to get in and learn any other way except in the full glare of uh, starts, the all 22 cameras, the type of analysis that you're going to get when you are a quarterback in the NFL. And actually what he's done is taken his game and moved it and improved it. And is he seems to be learning the way you would expect somebody in their early 20s to be able to learn. And so fair play to him, I say. Well, interestingly, normally a quarterback develops from making too many mistakes and kind of not understanding the exact process he's supposed to do in the pocket. They don't change their accuracy. Like, if you're inaccurate in college, you will be inaccurate in the NFL. And with Josh Allen, the mistakes in the process is still not particularly good, but the accuracy has taken a massive leap forward. He's throwing the ball into tight windows in the intermediate range and often not now. He's actually hit a couple of deep passes, whereas last year he was 0 for 8 on 40-plus yard passes. He was one of the worst. He was actually the worst deep passer in the NFL over 20 yards. And now that's not the case anymore. He's actually been consistently accurate to every level of the field. So the change is in his accuracy. His process in the pocket is still very much concerning because he's had a bunch of interceptable passes. He's constantly putting the ball out away from his body to be fumbled. That's why he has four, actually has five fumbles already, I think. He's, he's fumbled throughout his whole career. So the, the offense itself, like a lot of this is being put onto Allen and talk about Allen being an MVP. So you're right on that in the sense of the narrative of that is. But I think it's very similar to Kyle Shanahan's year in Atlanta where Matt Ryan won the MVP, where literally everything on offense is working the way it should. Literally everything on offense is clicking perfectly and the credit is all going to the quarterback. The, the Stefan Diggs has been Stefan Diggs. If you look at the his biggest play this past weekend, Josh Allen actually misses that troll where he, throw, he digs is open on the post road for a touchdown and the ball hangs in the air. But Def, Stefan Diggs is so good, he can stop, work back to the ball, work high into the air above the defensive back and still catch the ball and complete the big play. If you go to the uh, into the backfield, Devin Singletary, not a single defender this league has tackled him on the first opportunity yet. Uh, Tra uh, Troy Hill for the Rams, I think he got beaten six times in one game by Devin Singletary for big plays because <laughs> he's, he's just making guys miss constantly. He's developing into an incredible running back. Uh, the, the complimentary receivers and tight ends have been solid too. They're getting open for uh, the touch. I think the first touchdown went to Diggs this past weekend. There was literally three receivers wide open for touchdowns on that specific play. That's partly the receivers. It's partly the play design. The play design there has been outstanding as well. So everything's clicking really well. But the Who's... biggest change to me is the offensive line where Darrell Williams has come in at right tackle. Mitch Morse at center is playing unbelievable football. And this is something I'm actually writing an article about right now. They're doing something unusual in the sense that normally your guards are the guys who look after defensive tackles and the center helps one of your guards either goes left or goes right depending on the situation, depending on the opponent, depending on the play call. What they're often doing is having Mitch Morris take the defensive tackle one-on-one -on -one at center and now your guard can go and help your tackle. So it changes the dynamics of the offensive line. It's something opposing defense is going to have to try and figure out. But the quality of execution, the quality of play from the Bills can't be questioned. Who's, the only thing that's going to be questioned for me moving forward is when they face an actual pass rush, how will Allen perform? Who's responsible for that? Is there an offensive coordinator in there who's a genius or is it the head coach? Um, it's the, 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 the head coach there is Sean McDermott. He's a Ron Rivera coach. He's more defensive-minded. 
the offensive coordinator, my name, the name is blanking for me right now, so I can't think of it. But he was there last year as well, and he got celebrated last year. He's played, he's been particularly good over the length of his career anyway. But the the big thing that's been notable is when defenses play man coverage against them, they are being absolutely screwed. The, the, the crossing routes are being uh, working perfectly. Their complementary routes where they've got two receivers crossing each other in the middle of the field or working together on the outside are being executed perfectly. Stefan Diggs is coming open in the flat a lot. When you play man coverage against them, they're beating you every single time, which is very unusual because normally you will beat man coverage consistently, but not to the degree that they're doing it. They have guys who have four and five steps of, uh, of separation and they often have more than one on a given play so if Allen even makes a, like there have been a lot of plays this year where Allen has made the wrong choice but he still found a wide open receiver and that's why it reminds me of the Falcons offense because that's the way it was with Ryan when he had his MVP year it's Brian Dable does that make sense yes he's a, he's a smart coordinator always has been so it's not it's not surprising there you go okay uh, next up yeah, number four, Jay, Roger that and the renaissance of Aaron Rodgers. And the clip, which has sort of broken the inter internet, to use that term, uh, will defer to the second best American football show on the internet. That's the Pat McAfee show. And Aaron Rodgers dialed in, as he does every Tuesday. And the lads asked him about the sort of criticisms that have been dealt towards him in the last couple of years. The whole conversation was like, he's bagged up, he's this. Was the... Did you hear that stuff? I would assume you did. You have to in the world that we're in, that you, you see that every single day. And do you think being a second year in your offense that you're currently in with the floor is a massive advantage to maybe what was happening last year? I mean, I don't know. Every, every team is different. Every year is different. And, you know, circumstances in, in any year which allow you to have more success or, or make it more difficult for success just kind of depends on the situation. Um, it does help being a second year, for sure. I feel a lot more comfortable. But... You know, I, I sometimes laugh when people talk about, you know, down years for me, because a lot of times down years for me are career years for most quarterbacks. That was awesome. I am so happy you said that. Oh, my God. That's just like, a, that is. Yeah. Drop it down. That was awesome. Good for you, dude. Hey, wow. it's just yeah. the facts, bro. Hey. You didn't make the rules. Uh -huh. Hey, you didn't make the stats. These are just how it is. We're just reading them how it is. That's hey, reality's tough, kids. Listen up. Was he dancing there? Is that what that was? What was that? Is that, is that Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson. Oh, it's um, it's AJ Hawk, isn't it? I can't actually I can't oh. actually see the clip from from my end, but um, no, it's it's interesting because it's quite a coup for for the Pat McAfee show to have him every week, um, given he's been quite sparing in his media engagements throughout his career. I know he does his his normal press every week, but in terms of giving out soundbites like that, he's been a little bit sparing. But they actually had him on on draft night prior to the Green Bay Packers <laughs> pick, right? And he was talking about um, it's actually really funny even in retrospect, but he's talking about the fact that he's excited to see them given about how amazingly stacked the wide receivers were in that first round and he was excited to see who the Packers would land on and lo and behold we know what happened with the, the quarterback selection but and I mentioned it in the first week of the pick six this season that maybe that did that light a fire under him or are we being a bit too simplistic by assuming that someone of his vintage would be sort of inspired by something so sort of to tokenistic but it seems to be because you look at what he's throwing to and Granted, he was he was firing against a second rate a second rate secondary uh, the other night because of injuries for the Falcons, but he was down his his two best wide receivers and was making a household name of his uh, lesser known tight ends. So 
you have to give credit to Aaron Rodgers. They've made a flying start, and if they continue, continue in this trajectory, I think the Packers on this form can basically beat anyone if they're healthy. And that makes for an exciting uh, latter stretch of the season, I think. If they're in the mix, they're, they're right there. Yeah, uh, Robert Tanyan was uh, a massive pickup in fantasy this week for everybody. I'm just trying to see what uh, wide receivers were still on the board when they were picking. And in fairness, most of the... Brandon Ayuk. No, Ayuk is gone. Ayuk has picked one pick before him. So the 49ers traded up to get Ayuk ahead of the Packers. Uh, LaVisca Chenault? Uh, Well, he's second round, isn't he? So Michael Pittman... the The Packers traded up to get Love is the point, though. You know they could have traded up to get one of those receivers if they if they so wanted, but they could have. Like Devonte Adams is is amazing. Like he's he's um, all world in that position. And then Lazard, who I think uh, you know I've been reading articles about him before a few months ago, and like he was on and off the practice squad and didn't even give him a number for the first few months. So he really had to prove it. But he's sort of broken out as a very solid number two. And the fact that he was able to produce without those two. You know, against the Falcons, the record kind of belies that they're actually decent, you know, in terms of they can win games. They've just blown massive leads, but it was quite a bit of a breeze for the Packers. And, you know, they play Brady next, and that's a must-win for them. So that's going to be an interesting crossroads matchup for the for the two teams. Yeah, look, I, I, all the talk about Russell Wilson is obviously justified. His form has been absolutely sensational. But if Aaron Rodgers completes the season at the level that he's at at the moment then he's back in that conversation about who's the greatest quarterback of all time. I understand that everybody goes rings, Trump, whatever else has happened, but what Aaron Rodgers does when he's playing in the full flush of his um, Super Bowl winning, which is 10 years ago, is it? Is it was it 2010 they won? 10 years, yeah. Yeah, like that's amazing. To, to, for his, his recovery to that level is absolutely amazing. So um, that's definitely a story that we're going to be interested in. So we've got time for two more. Number five. Yeah, number five, Darnold Trump. And Sam Darnold has lost his job to Super Bowl winner and Baltimore Ravens royalty, Joe Flacco. It's true injury, but if Flacco produces what he did in Baltimore, Jared needs to say he's going to keep that job. But maybe only until the next draft, because we all remember when uh, the Browns went for Baker Mayfield and the Jets were somewhat smug that they'd managed to get Sam Darnold and this is their franchise piece for the next 10 years or whatever, but it's looking very likely that they're going to be in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. They're going to be picking number one if the trend continues as it is. And I just wonder what Keane thinks, like if he was, if he had the GM switch there, do you hit the reset button or do you just trade it for a lot of picks and build around Sam Darnold? It's an interesting juncture that the Jets are at, isn't it? Oh, I'm resetting that team. Uh, Sam Darnold, like, Dwayne Haskins got benched and he's he's basically done now at this stage. Dwayne Haskins and Sam Darnold have basically been the same. Just complete complete inaccuracy. Like we were talking about with Josh Allen, the inaccuracy is, has been very, very similar throughout their careers up until this season. Uh, Allen took a step forward. Sam Darnold has never taken that step forward. To be fair to me, he's never played on a good team. But the problem with that argument is he's also been terrible when he's had clean pockets and open receivers. Uh, Jamison Crowder being there is like a, an, an easy checkdown all the time. Joe Flacco's going to love throwing to him because he loves throwing to easy checkdowns all the time. So Crowder could probably wind up having a 20-catch game before the end of the season. And Flacco's going to do all the things that Darnold never did where you would think after getting after losing his job and after moving teams, he's going to have a focus more on his mechanics and focus more on his decision-making to play more of a safe game. That's the exact opposite of what Darnold has. Darnold is just... A mistake waiting to happen. He misreads defenses constantly. He has an incredible arm. He has an ability to make outstanding throws. We've just never seen it. In college, at USC, he was 
an interesting prospect. He had a great arm. He had his only issue was he had a mind-numbing interception every so often. Those interceptions have gotten worse in the NFL rather than better, and the rest of the game has, has declined. So it's very difficult to make an argument for Sam Darnold, and if Trevor Lawrence is as good as everyone let, expects let me, him to let me, be, let me, it's let me, easy. Let me make an argument for him, right? Uh, 18 months ago, Joe Burrow was expected to go in the fifth or sixth round. Isn't that correct? Uh, not even that excited. I think he was a backup. Yeah. Right. So he has this one amazing year at LSU where it turns out an unbelievable receiving core and pretty good running backs and a good offensive line. Who's older? Sam Darnold or Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, but I, you're asking the wrong person there. That's cheating. Joe Burrow is six months older than Sam Darnold. So, like, there is... Yeah. There is endless possibilities for Sam Darnold to improve, to become somebody. I think the key, the key point you made is that he's, he's had a rubbish coaching system. He went to the wrong team. If he'd gone to any team who understood how to nourish and develop the talent, he is somebody who could end up being, I don't know, maybe, maybe Ryan Tannehill last season is his absolute peak, and that'll be fine. Top, top 10 quarterback, somebody who you trust. I, I'm not ready to hit the reset button on that because there's no point to hitting the reset button until you have a coach and a GM who are actually connected. And we've seen this in all of the franchises the whole way around that you can look into a brilliant quarterback, but that only takes you so far. Houston, for example, unless you actually have the right architecture around it, the whole thing is screwed. So I don't know. I, I mean, think I think the important note here, Jared, is you would be getting rid of Adam Gase as well and you'd be getting a new GM and they have these picks coming from the Jamal Adams trade. So it's very important to make the right decision and make the determination now rather than wasting the next year or so with Alan, with um, with Darnold and kind of humming and hawing your way and not making the right decision and not committing one way or the other. So I agree with you in the sense that if you have some belief in Darnold still, you stick with him and you build around him and you don't have any question marks about it. So as soon as he's back from this shoulder injury, he goes straight back in. There's no talk of leaving Flacco in there. But if you're already looking at different quarterbacks, it's you leave Darnold on the bench, just leave Flacco play the rest of the year out, get your high draft pick, get your new coach, get your new GM and move forward. My problem with the buying into Darnold is when Ryan Tannehill played with Adam Gase, when he played with Joe Philbin, when he played in those awful offenses, I could still look at that and say that Ryan Tannehill's a good quarterback and he's going to be a good player when he gets onto a good team. I simply haven't seen that with Sam Darnold at any point, so it's, it's hard to buy into. Okay, all right, that's, uh, that is it fairly important counterpoint to all of that. So we've got five and six left to go? No, just six. That was that was number five there, Jer. So uh, can't count numbers. Count. <laughs> Look, that was, that was number the six. Haskin for trouble and Keane alluded to it there that Dwayne Haskins has not only lost his job, I think he's down to third string on the, the Washington team. So quite a fall from grace. But like, I think Ron Rivera was talking about the need for him to get snaps. And given that there's no preseason and probably no preseason next year, I don't know when he's going to get these snaps if it's not in actual games. So I don't know what the future looks like for Dwayne Haskins. But the East is like one of these divisions. It's like one of these dark comedies where it's cringy and you kind of don't want to watch, but you're glued to it at the same time because it's just, it's the slow bicycle race of terrible teams. And Washington have basically looked at it. And I think Rivera is on the record saying, this division is so bad that we we have to make this switch now because we can actually win this thing. And... Kyle Allen is someone who's won games from before. And all it's going to need is, you know, their defense when it's healthy is really strong. You know, yeah. they can get after the quarterback and affect things. And if you have competent quarterback play, and with the Eagles are the tone setters in that division, like somehow, and they've been really off it so far this season. The Cowboys have an explosive offense, but are always playing from behind. And, you know, 
Dak Prescott's putting up these glitzy numbers, which I'm sure will help his contract negotiations. But it's very easy to put up those numbers when your opponents are playing preventative defense and, you know, you have all this space to throw into. They can't get Zeke Elliott going at all. And then the Giants are the Giants. In fairness, they lost their best player and it's a bit of a transition for them with the new coach. But I can understand the logic of, of what Washington have done here, but it kind of it puts a full stop on the Dwayne Haskins project, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm still cringing from me killing Jar's joke there. I just trampled on it. But uh, the, the problem with Dwayne Haskins has been, again, that limited accuracy and that inability to throw the ball where it's supposed to go, very simply. I, uh, if you look at QB data mine, there was a video last night of Haskins. His, his accuracy this year is about 48.6%, which would have been only better than Josh Allen last year, which is, again, highlighting the change in Josh Allen, the improvement this year. But the the throws he's missing as well, they're wide open throws at every level. It's Terry McLaurin is possibly the best receiver in the NFL. He is an incredible talent, but he's getting no service at all, which is limiting his his, uh, his input. It's not really limiting his production. His production is still pretty high, but his his notable plays, his highlight plays, his impact plays aren't really there. So he's not getting the national attention he deserves. You have the running backs leaking out into the flat and they're being missed. The ball's being thrown over their heads. Peyton Barber, it's happened to a couple of times. It's happening to um, Antonio Gibson there who's proving to be a really good running back. Washington have all the pieces around the quarterback to be at least an average team, at least an above average team. And in that NFC East, like Warren mentioned, it's not a good division. Like the, the Cowboys are a mess. The Eagles are a mess. Uh, the Giants are nowhere near quite capable of being a playoff team or being a contender or anything like that. So the, there is an actual opportunity for if Kyle Allen plays well, but I don't think he will. But if Alex Smith comes back in a couple of weeks and he's going to be the backup this week, if he comes back, plays the way he has in previous years, this team could actually be a playoff team. They have that level of talent on defense and they have enough on offense. It's just Haskins never developed his mechanics, never developed a, as a, a quarterback in terms of being comfort in the system and making decisions. He played very little in college, but he had a big year because he was surrounded by incredible talent at Ohio State and it just hasn't worked out. Yeah, and look, um, he was the one who missed the, was it an extra point conversion where they went for two? What was the, he, he didn't go back out for a third down or something in his, in his debut, he was too busy getting pictures taken. That wasn't a great start. Oh, hard to that come, was a kneel down, I think. Hard to come back from that. Right. Uh, lads, good stuff. Thanks so much for being part of the show this week. Uh, let's run you through the fixtures uh, for the weekend before we wrap. I'll tell you what's coming up for you to uh, enjoy the Philadelphia Eagles at the Pittsburgh Steelers. These are the Sunday 6 o'clock kickoffs. Um, actually, none of those are kicking off at Sunday at 6 o'clock, so one except the Eagles and the Steelers. The rest are all later on. The Dolphins at the Niners, the Giants at the Cowboys, the Broncos at the Patriots. The Chargers are taking on the Saints in New Orleans. It's the Minnesota Vikings at the Seattle Seahawks. I heard some chatter that uh, people are giving Minnesota a chance of winning that. Seattle are going to crush them. I think um, Seattle look very much like a Super Bowl team at the moment. And it's the Colts at the Browns, which is exciting a lot of people. I know, some people get excited pretty easily. And then uh, the six o'clock kickoffs. Uh, obviously last night the Bears beat the Bucks by a point. It's uh, Jacksonville at Houston, Carolina, who have a bit of um, buzz about them because their head coach is obviously very good at the Falcons, the Cardinals at the Jets, the Rams at Washington, it's Buffalo at Tennessee. That one now, obviously, we think is going to be on Tuesday. Uh, it's the Bengals at the Ravens and the Raiders are at the Kansas City Chiefs. Ordinarily, you would expect that to be a beatdown, but obviously it's a conference game. And I think they've been a bit closer in recent years than people have expected. Uh, that is this week's edition of The Snap. My thanks to Kean and Ronan for being part of it. And a reminder, of course, The Snap and all our American football coverage on OTB is brought to you by the Erlingus College Football Classic. Check out collegefootballireland.com for details.
See you next week. OTB's American Football Show, The Snap. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation.